week leading up to this message, I have never been more spiritually oppressed in my life. I'm telling you, it was like craziness, and I almost hate to admit it, and I'm like, really, over this text? You know, because I did not see an importance about it. And so I'm even going to do an unmaxed thing. I'm going to not, like, so there's my message, and so out it goes, all right? Because today, I know for those of you that know me, you're like, Jesus is coming back. Quick, look busy. <laughs> okay? I want to speak from the heart. So today's not so much a message as it is what's on my mind and heart at the moment, all right? And before we all scatter for, biz, uh, for, before we all scatter for summer, I want to put a linchpin in the ground about what, what's business. What's business? What is it that we do? What's business? You got to know what it is that you do in order to be able to do it, right? I mean, so what's business? Generations actually has a mission. We've got marching orders from Jesus. It's the same set of marching orders that they have at Southland Christian Church. It's the exact same thing that Centenary United Methodist Church is supposed to be doing, that Jesmine Christian Church is doing, that Nicholasville Baptist is supposed to be doing. We're all supposed to be doing, believe it or not, the same thing. I came about this, I came into this through the back door. Uh, I started off as a pastor, as a children's pastor. Way back a long time ago, I was getting, on a, I was getting ready to get on a plane to, to fly to Pennsylvania and close a deal with the church in Pennsylvania. And my mentoring pastor here, my senior pastor, uh, I went into him for advice, and I said, you know, Steve, how do I negotiate salary, you know, leave time, you know, what are the finer points to that? And I remember him leaning back into his chair, putting his feet up on his desk and going, why am I helping you close the deal with the church in Pennsylvania to do what we need to have done here at this church? And I, without skipping a beat, I said, it's real simple. They have money and they're going to pay me a salary. And he said, well, would you at least pray about staying? I said, no. And then he asked me, then he, like, could you, I know, I did, well, I figured he's my pastor, why not be honest, you know, why lie to his face? He's like, no, I really don't want to pray about it, this is what's going to happen, this is where I'm going, this is where Jenny and I are moving, it's, you know, worked out, no, no worries, no hassle. And he says, no, really, you know, you, you know, I really think you ought to pray about this. And I'm like, oh. and then he quoted Bible stuff and all this other jazz. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll pray about it and talk to Jenny. And I'm like, well, I know what she's going to say. Hi, Jen, you know, Pastor Steve wants me to stay for $500 a month. Are you great for that? You know, versus the, what was it, 32, 35 salary range back then that they were going to offer. So the funny thing is, you know, I agreed to pray for it and pray about it. I went home and I told Jenny and her first reaction is, I think we should do this. Are you drinking the same stuff he's drinking? I mean, what's going on? And so we prayed about it. We felt like God wanted us to stay. And so, boom, I was a children's pastor. Not because I had a bee in my bonnet and that was my goal. I just kind of ended up into it. And one of the things as a children's pastor is in that life, I got really busy. I mean, we had children's stuff Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, uh, VBS. I mean, we did it all. And... And I remember thinking week after week, <gasps> you know, working with kids is, is great. <gasps> Help. <laughs> you know? And I had, an, I, I had a uh, early childhood rotation of 75 volunteers. And in any given week, two or three of them would call me and let me know, you know hey, Max, you know, I need, just need to tap out, da, 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 da. And I'd be like, okay, no problem. You know, we'll get more. And so I, I just remember being and feeling exhausted and it kind of culminated for me one night 
I was uh, leaving for a meeting, and I would put in a 50-hour work week, and then I'd be gone about five nights a week, six nights out of the week on top of that 50-hour work week. And I was walking out of the door, and John Mark was about three or four years old, and he goes, Daddy, please don't go. And that's when you have one of those parent moments where, you know, the dagger to the heart. Oh, yes, I suck. Okay. And to add insult to injury, his little buddy friend, Caleb, chimed in. Uncle Max, you always go. Why don't you stay and play with us? Remember that, John? Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) That was a pivotal moment for me. In that moment, there were a couple of things I realized. One, I realized what happens at home is more important than what happens at church. For me as a pastor, if my kids grow up and they hate God and they hate the church, epic fail. I don't care if I've got a platform of 15,000 people and everybody's downloading me on iTunes. I don't care. It's failure. Epic failure. And the other thing I learned, the other thing that kind of caught at the same time was I realized I'm working my butt off and I'm trying to disciple a gazillion kids And even if their parents gave me their kids six hours a day, they'd still turn out like their parents. I mean, this is a lose-lose proposition. There's got to be a better way. I can't make disciples out of so many kids with so little time. And for me, that's kind of brought me to a point these days where I've come to a realization, and that is what's business. Business is the same business it's always been. And Even though at at Generations we've had a kid family emphasis for eight years, we've come in through the back door about the big main thing in this sense. Uh, Because we've had a kid and family emphasis, we know it's true. We know it's true that if kids grow up in a home where mom and dad are hypocritical, where mom and dad withhold love, where all those things play out, what happens to that kid when they become a grown-up? Nine times out of ten, they don't want to have anything to do with God or organized religion if that was part of mom and dad's package because it left a bad taste in their mouth. And they're like, nope, not going to do that. Not going to walk that. No, uh, No thanks, but no thanks. I know how that works. And so we want parents to dial in and be intentional about those kind of things. But as we've been going about generations, we've come to realize, gosh, parents, that means parents need to be disciples. And that, and And so I want to wade into a text today, and it's Matthew 28. And the funny thing is, when I was looking through my preaching Bibles, I had to repent. This is supposed to be the main thing. Do you know how many times I've preached from this passage? Zero. I know. Like me and Jesus this week, I was like, oh, gosh, sorry. (laughs) Please don't kick me when I'm down. Okay, so Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. There's, Jesus has died, he's come back to life, and it's been like this surprise, and everybody's majorly freaked out, because they, you know, even though he talked about it, they weren't thinking it was going to play out the way it played out, and so he's here, he's alive again, I mean, it's like, what's going to happen, how's this, we know you're the Messiah, but, you know, we kind of have this idea how we think it's going to play out, and then you're telling us now you're going to leave and go to heaven again, I mean, what's going on, and he gives his disciples marching orders, And this takes place on a mountain. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. A couple of things right there in those two verses. 
Powerful, powerful statement. Then the eleven. There's a lot of power in that number right there about who it includes and who it doesn't include. Who's not included in the eleven? Judas. He betrayed Jesus, he gave up, and he hung himself. Who is included in the eleven? Peter, who also denied Jesus, betrayed Jesus, walked out, but was restored. So the eleven go to the mountain. And we know in the Bible that anytime the people are gathering, people of God are gathering on a mountain, something big's going to happen, right? We know this. I've talked about this a lot. Moses, I mean, just go through the Bible. Mountain, big stuff, okay? So you want to have big stuff happen, just climb Mount Everest, right? No, I'm kidding. Okay? So they go up to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when he saw them, they, they worshipped him, but some doubted. In, in the Greek there, could, it could mean stuff like they were uncertain. For those of you that have followed Jesus a long time, have you ever had clarity but Jesus, but about what he wants you to do, but you feel uncertain on the inside? There's a part of you that's like, oh, I don't know. They're feeling it right there up on the mountain. And Jesus gives them marching orders, all right? And that's verses 18 and following, if we can put that up. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you, always, even to the end of the age. Now this is one instance where, bless Dr. Hawthorne's heart, knowing Greek pays off. I, I love Dr. Hawthorne at Wheaton. He, would, he could rattle off translations in the Greek from memory, and when he came to share his feelings, he'd pull out a little three-by-five card to share how he felt. All right? But in the Greek, make disciples is the commanding verb. So what Jesus says in the Greek is this, therefore, make disciples, going and baptizing and teaching. So going, baptizing, and teaching are simply modifiers for make disciples. So what Jesus is saying to them is a culmination of what started way in the beginning of each of the Gospels. And for Matthew, who's writing this account, it's powerful. Jesus first encounter, or Matthew's first encounter with Jesus, Jesus says what to Matthew? Follow me. Follow me. It's an invitation to become a disciple. And Brian did a great job a few weeks ago of walking out what that really meant in that culture. All right? So follow me. Follow me. And Matthew has done just that. And it's changed his life. It's reordered all kinds of things. It's had good moments and bad moments. It's been a process. And here on the mountain, Jesus is saying, okay, so what I did with you, you now go do that with other people. I'm, I turned you into followers. I want you to make more of what I've made of you. You go do that. Make disciples. And there it is. If you want to know what Generations is supposed to be about, it's right here. It's the same thing that every church in this city ought to be about. And here's where I need your help. I can't do this alone. 
I couldn't do it alone as a children's pastor with a gazillion kids, and I certainly can't do it alone as a pastor of a church in this city. Do you know that in Nicholasville, in the time, uh, in the last, what, 15-year run, Nicholasville's gone from 13,000 people to 27,000 people. Of those roughly 13, 14,000 new people, only two to 3,000 of them go to church anywhere. Almost 10,000 people have moved into our city who, will, who are not darkening the doors of any church on any given weekend. And they're people like the people I'm going to talk to you about right now. I want to tell you about Bob. Bob is a businessman in this community, started a successful business. I got to know Bob, and Bob and I had something in common in that we were both born and bred Baptists. And we would share the Baptist stories every time we got together. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. You know, <laughs> that's how you know is the brother part. Brother. And if you got a really high expensive leather Bible under your arm and it's pretty thick, that's a sign too. Okay, so we just had the Baptist brother kind of fellowshipy thing going along. And, and my dad was there the, the time that Bob talked about why he was walking away from church. See, Bob had been in a Baptist church that split. They got angry with each other, and then it became two churches. And then he went with the one church that was the split, and then that church split again and became another two churches. I guess it's the Baptist way of church planning, only it just leaves, has a lot of negative energy to it. Okay, so by the third time, so he and his wife, I remember him looking across his desk from me and saying, no offense, and I know what you're doing and what, and what your church is doing and all that stuff, but I just, I, I need to take a break from God and his people right now because I just can't stand them. And on the Sundays when I can muster it, my wife and I drive up to Porter Memorial. And the irony of it is they, they showed up at Porter right before Porter imploded and went from 4,000 people to 1,000 people. And now he doesn't darken the doors of anywhere. And there's people like Bob all throughout our community. There was a woman who showed up, I'll call her Christy, on our friend day in January. And she pulled me by the arm at the end of the service and she says, I love, I love listening to you preach, but I got to tell you, I'm a King James only gal. And I said, well, that's all right. You know, there's some King James only places around. She said, I know. And, and when I went to sit down at her table at the lunch part, this is, what I, this is the story I got. Well, it's been kind of hard lately because for the last three years, I haven't been in church at all. Oh, okay. Well, what's, you know, you seem like a church gal. You know, what's the story there? Well, my husband of 30-some years and I got divorced. And where I was going, you know, divorce is bad, so they wouldn't let me serve in children's ministries anymore. And when I came, you know, it just felt judged all the time. I just felt judged. And so I, you know, I just stopped. It broke my heart to have that conversation. You want to know why? Because I'm like, here's a community of people right here who would love and accept you where you are, but you still got some vestiges of religion that you think are important and you can't let go of, so you're not going to experience that. How sad. How sad. <coughs> there are people like Christy all throughout our city and all throughout this neighborhood. Um, then there's my buddy Mark. Mark I've known for 15 plus years, okay? Mark uh, Mark's grew up in the Midwest. His dad was a, a bivocational pastor, 
And uh, his dad, Mark's dad, was exacting. Mark's dad was demanding. Mark's dad was one of those, you know, you better hit the bar kind of dads. And Mark, when Mark grew up and Mark graduated, Mark graduated from church and organized religion. And Mark purposely grew his hair long. And every time he, every time he would go home, every time he would see his dad, you know, Mark would, dad commented on my hair again. I'm 32 years old. When do you think he's going to stop commenting on my hair and let me live my own life? Boom. But in Mark's mind, see, God and dad are kind of connected. And because dad represented God. Dad was a pastor, right? So that must be how God rolls. I'll never forget. So after seven years of conversation with Mark, one night he calls me. It's a Saturday night. It's like 1045 at night. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. I've already gone to bed. I'm supposed to preach tomorrow. You're wicked, bringing my sorry butt. So he calls, Max. I'm like, hey, Mark, how's it going? I found God. I'm like, you, are you, have you been drinking? <laughs> Put him back and go to bed. No. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, man, I found God. He's weeping on the phone. He's cl now, that was five years ago. I think he's to the point now where he's ready to sign up with some other believers and get close enough that they can edit his life and he can have real relationship with believers. It's been a process. Um, I say that to say that it's what was true with you is true with the people that we're going to encounter in terms of making disciples. Making disciples is not an instantaneous one-time thing. It's not getting somebody to pray a prayer or sign a card or make a commitment. It's a process of following Jesus. And there are blips along the way. There's salvation. There's, you know, okay, Jesus, you can be my king. There's, you know, there's blips along this process. But remember, it's a process. I want to tell you about another set of friend of ours. We met him the first week that we lived in Kentucky, and we've known him that long. And I love him to pieces. I love to get together with him because it's always an excuse for me to get Papa Murphy's really thick pizza because my buddy is like, you know, we're getting Papa Murphy's, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so, so they don't have, when we know them in our 20s, they didn't have anything to do with God, organized religion. He had a mild Catholic background, and that kind of messed him in a lot of ways, and she had her own issues with mom and family, and so they just, they weren't churchgoers. God wasn't on the radar. In 2000, when Franklin Graham came to town, we had managed to invite and invite enough. They were like, yeah, okay, we'll go to the crusade. And you know what? They went forward that night. That was in 2000. In 2000, I think, is when he came to Lexington. And they made decisions. I was like, way to go. That's awesome. So, and then church and God and stuff started becoming more a part of their life. And it was this process thing. And this year... This last year has been one of the hardest things for them because they're in a church right now that's like really shrunk. There's a lot of contention. A lot of their really dear friends have left, and, it, and she's been boo-hoo-hoo-hooing the whole way. And last time we got together, we went on this long walk, and she cried the whole walk. And I mean, we walked like an hour and a half. <laughs> and I was like, wow, whoo, you know, and I was walking with him like, you know, safe distance behind. <laughs> I'm so proud of her. You know what she did this year? She got baptized. You know what she told me? Max, it's not about the church or the pastor. This is about me and Jesus. 
and I want everybody to know where I am with him, and he's my king, and this is the thing. This is the deal. It's God, and it's not. And I was like, yes, okay? Process. And so I need your help, and this is where I need your help. Our city, your workplace, your neighborhoods, the people who sit next to you in that long band concert are people just like Bob and Mark and Christy and my friends. And a lot of them don't have anything to do with God, in part because of religion, in part because of negative experiences. Become their friend, will you? Become their friend and don't give up. The set of friends I just talked about, we're talking now 20 years, okay? This stuff doesn't happen overnight. When Jesus made this command, gave this command on the mountaintop, make disciples, it followed on the end of a three-year process where they ate with him, they lived with him, they, I mean, they just, to paraphrase what these churches like to say, they did life together. They did. They just lived life. They were friends. And so, I ask for your help. If, and so, here's a couple of questions. Question number one. Is there anybody in your life right now that you would say you're just helping along? You're helping pointing them to Jesus? Because there ought to be. See, this is where you and I need to personalize this. Jesus came and told Max Vanderpool, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Max. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, Max. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus came and told Josh Lanier, I have been given. I mean, you just Jesus came and told Chris Colt. Jesus came and told Don Tippy. Jesus came and told Taylor Caldwell. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. This is where you and I need to personalize this. Because I really, I'm convinced when we see him on the other side, if these are our marching orders, don't you think he's going to ask us how that went and check in on the whole disciple-making thing? Here's the good news. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be totally right and perfect in order to pull this off. You want to know why? Can we go back to the previous set of verses? Right there. Who's in that 11? Peter. Peter, the guy, I don't know the man. Are you kidding me? <gasps> Galilee? No way. Uh -uh. Run, baby, run. And he's included. Impetuous Peter. And if he's included, you and I are included. And so, I just want to ask, I need your help. Because this city, our city, Lexington's full of people who are far from God, just like the people I talked about. And you and I, by developing real friendships, I'm not talking about fake friendships, I'm not talking about telemarketing or pyramiding or any of that kind of stuff, I'm talking about real friendship, that over time, you, God could use you to help them follow Jesus. That would be awesome.